Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Realcom webinar. I'm Sarah Bemprat with Realcom, and today we will be talking about creating a future-proof smart building strategy. We have a great lineup of thought leaders joining us in today's session, but before we get started, let's go over a few housekeeping items. You can use the Q&A section to ask your questions um, and uh, submit your comments for the panelists, and we'll try to get to all the questions throughout the session. We don't get back to you today and we'll follow up with you after the events. For the best webinar experience, we recommend that you log out of any other internet applications that might currently be running on your computer. And we will also be sending out a copy of the webinar recording within the next few days. You can also download a copy of the handout. So all the presentations that we go over today are available in the handout section. If you do need any help with um, or have any technical issues, you can contact me at sbamparad at willcom.com. And with that, I'd like to introduce the sponsors for today's events, Alberio Energy, Genia, Igor, PoE Texas, and Prescriptive Data. And we'll learn more about these companies throughout the session. Um, Prescriptive Data was unable to um, participate in today's session, but be sure to check them out on their website and uh, there is going to be a small ad for them in our handout. And with that, let's continue and introduce the moderator for today's event, Nwadli. With significant experience as a global technology program manager, Hampton is proficient in strategic planning and leadership. He possesses ex um, extensive knowledge in collaboration, experiential network and digital communication, um, and smart building and building automation system technologies. Hampton, thank you very much for moderating today's session and I'll turn it over to you. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. Glad to be here and glad for everyone who's able to join this webinar. So as we continue this series in intelligent design and construction, today our goal is focused on the creating of the future-proof smart strategy. As technology is changing so rapidly, the strategies that are creating and that we are creating must also be ready for that quick diversion. But as the technology is changing, we also have environmental factors. And those factors have forced everyone to shift their own strategy. So no matter how confident you were in the middle of 2019 with so proud of yourself, you developed a 10-year plan, you have leadership buy-in, you know, for, for this perfectly financed and 10-year and rollout scalable solution. Well, this little thing that you may have read in the news called COVID just turned that plan into the same paper you used to train the new puppy that you also acquired during COVID. So how do we think about a multi-year strategy now? How do we think even more purposefully now while ensuring that you can sustain this plan no matter uh, what comes up? So today we have some great Realcom partners to go over those foundational elements. Because in my opinion, there's only one true technology that is future-proof. It's a little item from the late 1940s. It's called the Magic 8-Ball. Now I'm sure that all of us on this call have used the magic eight ball once or twice in their lifetime. Whether it's used to ask if the neighbor is gonna go out to the movies with me on a date, or if you're gonna be using uh, the same platform uh, in seven to 10 years. And when leadership asks you, with this same platform, will it be strong in the future? Will we be able to 
do exactly what we need to do. And whether you actually had the physical magic eight ball on you or if you're using some form of it in your mind, you're using the same thing. So what do we need to do? How do we need to be able to be confident about that particular answer to that question? And I'm more referring to the platform-based question, not the movies or date question. That's going to be a different webinar in a completely different series. So for that level of confidence, for your smart prop tech strategy, what can be future-proof? And that's what we're going to go over. And, and before I introduce our first speaker, well, we're going to pause for a short video from Jania. Jania is a cloud-based software company and helps automate overtime HVAC requests. Our software physically plugs into the network of submeters and helps automate the reading of those submeters. And we also have access control. Our cloud-based solution physically plugs into your controllers and your readers and automates the adding and removing users, as well as now it enables you to use your phone as your credentialing device. Everything that we touch helps bring a better tenant experience without breaking the bank. So I'd like to introduce Yoni Ron. Yoni is the global director at Genia, a property technology company serving commercial real estate and enterprise customers. Yoni is responsible for managing major accounts and partnerships of all US and Canada. Yoni? Thanks for the introduction, Hampton. Uh, for those of you unfamiliar with Genia, I'll quickly summarize the video. Uh, Genia is a commercial real estate software platform. Uh, we focus on smart building technology and automation. Uh, we're implemented in over 250 million square feet in over 20 countries and operate within a handful of different verticals, HVAC management, energy analytics, needs and early buildbacks, access control, and visitor management. I'm actually a big fan of today's topic. I really, really enjoy talking about smart building technology. And it's been really interesting uh, to see how much emphasis has been put on this category. Sorry so, to interrupt you. We are having a little bit of trouble hearing you. It seems like if you're leaning to the right, it gets worse. So maybe try leaning to the left a little bit. Oh, wow. Sorry about that. That's okay. Uh, are we doing better now? Much better. Thank you. Okay. Uh, so jumping right into it. So yeah, so jumping right into it, as we start to think about how to begin implementing your text building uh, or within your portfolio, you really want to have a plan and a clear understanding of the problem or the problems you're trying to solve for. There are a handful that are pretty common, uh, improving the tenant experience, tracking your tenant, um, implementing technology as a value add to increase the overall value of an asset, compliance, ESG requirements. The list can go on and on, and these can also be layered, but having clarity on what you're ultimately looking to accomplish as part of your strategy is key. Um, once the why has been established, you can begin starting to engage trusted uh, technology partners and service providers. And the good news is today, you don't need to worry about geographic limitations. You're not bound to local partners in any specific market. Um, you can tap your network for referrals. You can engage associations you're affiliated with for recommendations. Take advantage of industry channels like Realcom, who are distributing amazing content on the subject. 
Um, there are tremendous resources available today to help facilitate a solution that you feel confident in to kind of help fulfill your plan and move forward with your plan. Another major factor when considering technology and smart building technology plans is seeking out cost-effective solutions to show some sort of measurable return. Uh, the options are endless today. The prop tech industry has become very crowded, which means depending on your goals, you may run into a scenario where you have multiple solution providers to choose from. And while technology you know, always has the cool factor, you also need to make sure it makes financial sense and in some way, shape or form is measurable. Uh, also to that end, when you're putting together your strategy, you wanna stay nimble and flexible. Um, so on our end, we always recommend sticking to non-proprietary hardware. And we, it's just a safer bet. Um, this is gonna come up a lot in, you know, and something I'll be speaking to quite a bit because I think it's incredibly important. Uh, particularly in the context of future-proofing an asset, because in order to establish a future-proof strategy, you really want to create an open and flexible foundation. Um, selecting non-proprietary solution providers allows you to stay nimble and keep that pace with the industry as it con continues to change. <clears throat> That's actually a nice segue to my final point here, which is if you can, try and avoid long-term contracts. Technology is changing fast. The competition is really fierce. Um, and being locked into a three-year contract can really hinder your ability to maintain the best-in-class solution for your, for your building, your asset class, or your portfolio. Um, among contracts are fair. Uh, they give you the flexibility and put the onus on a service provider to constantly pr prove their value. The next thing to really consider, and one of the more important things is uh, when you're building your strategy is reliability and performance, uh, specifically in the context of evaluating on-premise versus cloud-based solutions. Uh, let's start with, on the left here, talking about some issues that occur with on-premise solutions. Um, typically, it requires you to maintain your own hardware, which means on top of maintaining the standard fees associated with your subscriptions, you're also um, maintaining an annual maintenance contract, which can become costly. Another important consideration is if and when there are issues, troubleshooting typically requires scheduling someone to actually be on site. Uh, and to that end, any changes, regardless if they're scheduled or regular maintenance, uh, requires a field technician to be on site, which can also get expensive. Uh, lastly, here on this point, if you're considering standardization, let's say you really like a solution, you want to standardize it across your portfolio, um, you need to bear in mind that on-prem solutions can typically be costly to scale. So on the right here, good alternative to consider uh, are cloud-based solutions. The cloud allows for automatic updates and maintenance, which means troubleshooting can be done remotely and version updates can be deployed in real time. Nobody has to physically return to be on-premise to actually go into a computer that's located in some basement somewhere. Um, the cloud also allows for greater accessibility because they work remotely. You can literally be in the Bahamas and still be connected to your asset or portfolio. Um, probably one of the biggest benefits to deploying cloud-based solutions is having that flexibility to leverage integrations and take advantage of API capabilities. Um, as you layer on additional technologies to support your future-proofing strategy, um, you're going to want your software solutions to work together to support these parallels priorities. Um, and unlike, uh, unlike like, on-prem solutions, scalability is much more cost-effective and efficient because you can typically leverage the existing hardware and significantly enhance the functionality of your software without having to rip out or replace a lot of equipment. So 
as we're kind of continuing along this future proof strategy and kind of comprising a plan, we, I want to go back to my original point that when you're putting your strategy together, you need to be mindful of the budget. So when seeking out cost-effective solutions, you want to avoid the risks associated with proprietary hardware, mainly because you want to avoid being locked into a single software. You may want to have the option to switch at some point, and working with proprietary hardware really forces you to stick with their software. Uh, to that end, you'll also be required to deal with mandatory version upgrades, and that can be really costly. This becomes important because when you try to integrate different systems, and an outdated version of your software can hinder your ability to integrate with another solution provider as you're working to solve for your different building initiatives. Uh, another risk to consider is what happens if the company actually goes out of business or gets acquired. Uh, you might not be so enchanted by the new entity's customer service approach or their mission and want to change. So working with a provider that uses proprietary hardware kind of leaves you in what I call that no choice special scenario. And going back to earlier in our conversation, you really want to think about, make sure your plan is kind of flexible and leaves you with a lot of options. Uh, I think my only final point here is if, you know, when you're, when you're thinking about proprietary hardware, you also want to be mindful that hardware can become obsolete and you're putting yourself at risk of running out of date equipment at your property. Um, the good news is that there is a great alternative in working with non-proprietary hardware. Uh, some of the benefits, as kind of I listed here on the right, <clears throat> and I'll explain to them, I'll, I'll kind of speak to them a lot in a lot more detail now, is non-proprietary hardware allows you to take advantage of open architecture. So as your smart building strategy evolves and you want to integrate different streams of data or solutions to automate workflows, you have that ability to do so through APIs. Uh, another big benefit is flexibility. Non-proprietary hardware helps you avoid being locked into a software provider. So you have the ability to stay current if a competitor enters the space with a better solution without having to dread allocating unbudgeted dollars to the project. Because there's no rip and replace required, you're also able to leverage the existing hardware from your original investment to move to another software provider quickly and seamlessly. So to kind of wrap things up and to summarize everything we just covered, um, some key takeaways when developing your future-proof strategy um, can be keep it in the cloud. It'll keep you nimble and it'll let you stay connected to your solution regardless of where you are. Um, select a software that adapts to changing environments. One way to spot this as you're vetting technology partners is A, if they have API docs readily available or even better, if they make them publicly available on their, web, on their website, that's usually a good sign you're choosing the right partner. Uh, choose a partner that works with non-proprietary hardware. You know, I brought this up a lot, you know, in this conversation because I think it's really critical, in particular when you're thinking about future-proofing because you want your investment to serve you in the long run. And betting on non-proprietary hardware allows you to keep your options open um, should you ever want to change. The last, uh, another point here is confirm that it addresses real pain points and improve lives. That's somewhat of a lofty goal when you're putting your strategy together, but this kind of goes back to earlier uh, in our conversation, when we touched on establishing an overall goal for the strategy, you want to ensure that you have clarity on the positive impact it will have for you and everyone it's designed to serve. Um, another important question to be mindful of here is whether it automates workflows and or saves money. Again, going back to what I mentioned earlier, make sure you feel comfortable that the solution you're choosing is cost effective and the success, the success of the project uh, can be measured. Usually, if the solution is saving you time, money, um, you're on the right track. And then finally, does the provider include support 24-7, 365? 
as you're selecting your solution providers, and you know, you want to make sure that you, you have a good understanding of their service and support model, how much it costs, if anything. Uh, I've been with Jania for almost four years, and amongst all the changes, we've always been consistent with our 24-7, 365 support. You want to know your solution providers are there for you and your tenants all the time. Um, I think that's a wrap. Hopefully I did it under time, Hampton. I'm not sure. You tell me, but I'm happy to take any questions. Uh, I think we're only going to have time for um, one, one particular question, So, we, but um, thank you so much for everything you provided. Um, I know that you were given a lot of um, options uh, and which ways that you should go. I think a question that I have for you is from, from an industry perspective, you know, you're, you're thinking of the future proofing of a portfolio and or you know, a specific ad set, um, what are some of these decisions or what do you really see the owners and, owners and managers really focusing on today? So you're definitely giving us good tools of what to really look out for, but what are you kind of seeing the decisions that are being made right now? Uh, it's definitely uh, geographic in nature, depending on the portfolio. Uh, sometimes you, see, you can see, uh, it can be a function of sustainability initiatives, um, just wanting to reduce the carbon footprint just as a result of what's going on with the climate uh, and the, trying to be mindful of that. Uh, other things are, you know, with COVID and the pandemic kind of, you know, slowly coming to, to normalize, you know, they're focusing on trying to bring the tenants back to their offices safely and efficiently. Um, so access control and security management is becoming really important right now, uh, particularly mobile and touchless visitor management because equally as important as bringing tenants back to their offices is inviting their guests back and making them feel safe. Um, so we've seen a lot of uh, focus on sustainability initiatives and kind of um, bringing, bringing tenants back to the workplaces as safely as possible. All right. Well, Yoni, thank you so much. I appreciate your presentation and we'll have a chance to ask you a couple more questions in a second. Uh, before I introduce our next presenter, we're going to see a short video from our partner, Alberio Energy. All right, let me please introduce uh, Rick Martin, VP of Smart Building Solutions at Alberio Energy. As Vice President of Alberio's Smart Building Solutions team, uh, Rick brings over 25 years of smart building development, design, and implementation experience. This team is responsible for delivering outcome-based solutions to its North American customers. Rick, thank you. Thank you, Hampton, I appreciate it. Can you hear me fine? Yes, Outstanding. So uh, what I really wanted to talk about today is the smart building itself, right? The smart building has so many different definitions and so many different versions. Um, and one smart building right next to the other smart building could be completely different. So I've always looked at a smart building from a purpose-built perspective. Uh, it's got to be purpose-built, and, and you'll see where I'm going with this shortly, and uh, this is kind of the what, 
And I'll, I'll tell you about the how from what I've seen in the industry over the last 25 years, which has changed drastically. You know, smart buildings used to be a nicety, and now they're a necessity. Uh, they are a competitive edge for our clients. Um, they are also um, extremely tricky. You know, with Hampton's eight ball, it's extremely difficult to make any building future proof. But you can make it future ready based on um, outcome expectations. There's no one cookie cutter solution um, today. Yet some of the tactics that we're seeing and, and are extremely important are some of these steps that you're seeing on the screen right now. What is absolutely required to make a, a project, a building, an enterprise future ready is to, to truly build in a process and to, to engage early with that individual representative, whether it be an owner's representative, a master systems integrator, which is what I think, you know, this is what we're showing right here is the definition of a master systems integrator is providing that definition from the very beginning and the development component because that's where true cost and functionality will be impacted. Uh, we've seen that, I've seen that over my career as it pertains to, for this particular slide, jumping in uh, on process one as opposed to jumping in at process three. Uh, there's, a, there's a definite functionality and cost impact. And what's key to building out a future ready solution is the foundational infrastructure. Um, I think Yanni actually mentioned it in his discussion as well. You want to be prepared almost to build a service-oriented architecture where if a company does indeed go out of business or if the product um, lags in upgrading or versions, you can simply plug in different modules onto that particular foundational infrastructure. Now, I, I did indeed mention MSI, Master Systems Integration. There's also a lot of different definitions out there as well. And what we found and our definition of a true master systems integrator is an entity that is able to truly aggregate data from traditionally disparate systems and it provides actionable, intuitive, cyber secure um, actions to that particular building in a proactive manner in order to expand the life cycle because you are being proactive as opposed to reactive, that equipment out there is also um, very critical to the operation of a facility. Um, one thing that's extremely important too is a holistic approach, both with, um, both with product and experience and expertise. It's critical to have that expertise and experience in order to deliver a future ready infrastructure facility enterprise and to provide a frictionless user interface. You know, these smart buildings used to be simply on the back side of the drywall. Today they're on the on the other side of the drywall where a user experience, a interactive experience with the building is critical. You know, it, it's required to interact with that building, whether it be temperature settings or wayfinding or concierge services or smart parking, et cetera, et cetera. It's extremely important to deliver those particular functions to the building. And a master systems integrator um, is critical to delivering 
that future ready solution to the particular project. And for those of you that have been in the business for a while, this is a, you know, a traditional um, kind of building process or building construction model. And one of the problems that, that I've recognized over the last 25 years is there are too many contract silos that are delivering solutions that don't make sense, right? So what I've done and what we have done is we've created a master systems integration model that delivers that, that delivers a, um, a, a different type of general contractor, a technology general contractor to the marketplace, which reduces the risk um, of obsolescence, which is one of the things that I always tell my team is one of the things that we do on a daily basis is stay ahead of obsolescence from a technology perspective. That's not shaking the eight ball, it's truly digging in and determining where technology is going and what's proven and what's able to be proven to the client base today. Um, so I, I think that this model that you see right now is absolutely critical in delivering the future ready, <laughs> the future ready solution. So apologize for that, uh, but it does indeed uh, provide that model um, to deliver just that today. And it, it provides a expanded life cycle, mitigates the risk of obsolescence and delivers that solution uh, to the marketplace today. And it, it's extremely important that we continue to evolve um, this particular industry because it is going to evolve very quickly. And again, we need to stay ahead of obsolescence. And that's that's been kind of my intention and my mantra all along is to stay ahead of that curve and to deliver that intelligent infrastructure, which is able and capable of being future ready. So with that, I will turn it back to you, Hampton. And there we go. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Rick. And I appreciate all of your eight ball, uh, magic eight ball references. I do get a dollar from the Mattel company every time someone mentions it within a podcast. So thank you so much. Right now I'm up to being able to get a Whopper. So we're good. Um, <laughs> so when you're going through and you're, you're thinking about your your future planning and really removing um, you know those those silos, similar question to what we're, you know, what I asked Yanni is that, when you're getting into these scenarios in a non-construction atmosphere, if we're really just looking at a technology refresh, um, how do you best take over that role of you don't necessarily have a technology GC because you're not really building, you're really you're not building anything new, you're not refreshing anything from a construction activity. You're, it's just more of a technology upgrade. Um, how do you handle that uh, that relationship and those stakeholders, and what are you kind of hearing from those stakeholders? Yeah, so so one thing that we try to do, Hampton, is we try to create, um, a, like I stated earlier, a purpose-built solution. Now, how do you do that, right? That that that's a tricky tricky slope to to navigate. So what we really go in and do is we we create a and we deliver a use case workshop, uh, a use case determination and prioritization based on outcome expectations of that facility, of that space, of that floor, of that enterprise. 
And then we build that particular solution based on what is truly expected out of that building. I mean, it is a living, breathing entity that we need to make sure is optimally um, designed and is running at peak efficiency as it moves forward. When you do that, you expand that life cycle, which makes it future ready and allows you to, as I said, and I, I, I really do truly believe this, stay ahead of that obsolescence wave that's coming at all of us every single day. No, thank you so much. Rick, I appreciate it. And we're going to all have a chance to ask Rick a couple more questions in just a little bit. I now would like to introduce our next uh, presenter and our next uh, partner, Terry Young, VP of Operations for KRP Properties. As VP of Operations at KRP Properties, the largest property management organization in Canada, uh, Terry Young is a real estate executive with a proven record for complex contract negotiations, improving efficiency through sustainable practices, strategic planning, and efficient asset management. Terry, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Hanson. A uh, couple of things. A little bit of a, we're not the biggest, we're the biggest tech park. Just a, it's a little bit of a, a, a typo there. It, uh, there's only four or five billion dollars between that guy and us. So, but besides that, we're, we're really, really close. Um, okay, well, that's, that's yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So as Anthony was saying, uh, my name is Terry Young, um, VP of Operations and CTO for a, a smaller, we're a small tech company, actually, um, and we, we grew into a real estate firm. Uh, we run about three or four million square feet of real estate, uh, all class A stuff, uh, predominantly in the critical environment space. Um, most of these clients do have some sort of critical environment that we manage. Um, that's kind of our sweet spot. We also have hotels and we have golf courses and uh, horse stables and campgrounds and all kinds of stuff. Anyway, but the core of our business is uh, technology. So what I'm going to do today is just talk three or four, five slides real quick. And I'm going to be speaking on behalf of an owner and an operator kind of deal. We don't sell real estate. We keep it forever. Um, and so when we look at a smart uh, strategy, um, we look at it from that perspective. So that's what I'm going to go over. And by the way, this slide, this is my office. This is the view that I have from my office, which is not a bad gig, by the way. Um, just to let you know. Okay. So um, computer security. So uh, it's, it's not cybersecurity either. It's computer security. Um, cybersecurity is just one piece of that. Uh, information disclosure, theft and damage of hardware, software, disruption, misdirection of services they provide. Like, if you don't have a cybersecurity background, whatever decision and strategy you got, you're already behind uh, his eight ball. So I'll actually keep uh, I'll keep referencing, get trying to get his Big Mac or his Whopper, whatever he's trying, Hampton's trying to do. But basically, all of our strategies, however we're moving forward, always will have the cornerstone of a cybersecurity piece, whatever it is: system integration, people, uh, IT pieces, uh, IoT devices, switches, etc. It's really, really important to have that back bone of cybersecurity. We're using some really cool companies out there. There's one that we're, we're starting with now, they're called Blackpoint. They use artificial intelligence to actually understand network traffic. And basically, in our business, there's a whole lot of um, issues, it's not the right word. There's between corporate security and BAS security and security, security. So these guys bridge that gap and they sort of umbrella us all. So again, real quick, Computer security access is, is imperative. 
Number two, conductivity. This is just every device that we have. These are the personal entries, the parking management, the re remote prop tech, um, you know, all this kind of stuff. Telecommunications, you know, you're looking at the strategy, 4G, 5G, 6G, 7G, whatever that's going to be, you know, you look at where and how we're building our buildings today. Uh, for instance, the, the 4G technology works on a, a gigahertz, six and below, I think-ish, and then the 5G is, is 30 and above. So the type of material you use in your buildings may determine very well if that 5G signal or that frequency can come in through your buildings. So you could put in a $100 million building and you can't get cell phone coverage you know, with a 5G network. So these are these things that you need to be sitting to the table many times to go in there. And when your construction guys and when your firm is actually going into the table and going to build something, you need to be there from a strategic perspective and to understand how that building is going to react. And, you know, you've often heard that, you know, where that IT is that next utility, it's the utility. It's not the next. It, um, that's how we run our buildings. Energy requirements. I'll keep going here real quick. Um, the types, the POE, et cetera, you know, the AI analytics. If you don't have analytics running in your strategy and you don't run them in your buildings, again, you're behind the eight ball. Um, instant, instant, uh, better run building, less energy. Back up to the backup, putting in redundancy, you know, the digital twins, the ambient computing. These are a part of how we connect and how that connection of that piece of real estate needs to look moving forward. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, there's so many things. Third, culture of sustainability and innovation. Now this is basically, we got, you know, environmental, we got impact, we have social, we have, if you're not understanding that the impact of your strategy is affecting the world, I mean, again, core to where and what decisions you're making, your energy modeling, your real time uh, understanding of your energy and what that does, decreasing of energy, the wellness of your buildings, the health and wellness of your buildings, again, have to be core in that strategic piece um, with regards to your strategy. Number four, um, we're finding this lately is from a strategic perspective, um, supply chain management. We're really, really struggling lately. Um, and again, this just goes with whatever vendors out there. When you're choosing a vendor, be it a control system, a, a hardware, whatever piece of something, I just can't get it. Um, you know, HVAC units, controllers, three, eight, ten months out. Um, so it's huge when it comes to trying to implement your your whatever you're trying to do from your strategic or smart strategic strategy, right? So what we've done is we've either partnered with larger uh, folks in our business with, you know, they, they swing bigger sticks, so they have an on-site inventory, and or what we've done, instead of ordering one, we order 10 of something, and we've actually, you know, created our own inventory system, um, you know, and, and basically we've controlled that burn for us um, to a point where, you know, we have some of our competitors asking and calling, do you mind loaning this stuff, do you mind, et cetera, et cetera. Again, trying to maintain the integrity of whatever strategy, whatever building you got going on is, is, you know, imperative. If you own, if you have the device, you don't have the device, not much else you can do. Right. And last but not least, and this is a, a, a little bit of a, an initiative that we've been undertaking for the last number of years, actually, this is a, 
this is an ecosystem that we've developed in conjunction with our building. Uh, sorry, it's actually um, a BIA, the Business Improvement Association. So, you know, I've talked about uh, supply chain management. I've talked about cybersecurity, connectivity. What I haven't talked about are strategies of the people. Um, so this Hub360 is an ecosystem for industry, be it mostly tech companies. There are huge amounts of smart technology there. Um, there are also the universities. Uh, so we have two or three universities and colleges in the city that we've given space to. Um, and likewise, the banks. Um, so we have money, we have technology, we have people, we have smarts, all in one sort of area so they can coexist and collaborate. So basically, trying to, one of my key strategies is surround myself with a lot smarter people than I am. And, you know, you, sometimes it'll rub off for sure, which is a good thing. But, you know, more importantly, you, you, you have the latest and greatest. You have these bright, bright minds, you know, these tech companies. And, and basically, it's a bit of an incubation model. Um, so, yeah, it's been, been great for us. So I, I've surrounded myself with smart guys. So, yeah, we're all good. Uh, by the way, Magic 8-Ball, Magic 8-Ball, Magic 8-Ball, Magic 8-Ball. So you can get your French fries too, Hampton, with that thing, okay? Thank you. Anytime. Terry, always coming through, Terry. Um, so one of the questions that I really wanted to ask you, uh, you know, before we uh, move on is from the individuals who are really taking over your, your properties, um, what are the biggest things that you're really being asked for now? Like what, what is something that is starting to be more, that was a little bit more off the wall? I'm not necessarily asking kind of a, a what's next scenario, but a what are you being asked for now that it is new and obviously, this is outside of more of the touchless, you know, and, and, and seamless experience. What's kind of coming across your desk now? It's 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 information and communication, or or the lack thereof. You know how we run our buildings and the level of which we run them. People are getting more educated um, with COVID. They, we, you know, our business is real estate. We need people back. So what and and what we're doing and how we're running that pieces of real estate are extremely important now. So we're developing, and there's a number of apps that we've actually, we're in the development phase of now, is integrating the building engineering portion of it, being the wellness and how much our building um, systems can actually add to the wellness of that particular person. So, you know, and we're trying to create somewhat of a personal safety standard. Yours is different than mine. So basically, how I determine that is through information. Um, and so we're trying to bridge that gap now and give the information back to the particular person and or his phone that when he walks into the building, here is the nuts and bolts of how we're running the operation. You make the decision. You know, I can certainly run this as, as streamlining and as, as environmentally, uh, you know, sound and, and safety sound as possible, but it's your decision. And we're trying to sort of pave that way for those guys to come in and make that, you know, that personal safety standard that you've set for yourself. How can I help with that? And that's kind of a, a different kind of unique way of doing things and, you know, getting ahead of the curve a little bit. Well, Terry, thank you so much and greatly appreciate your presentation. We'll also have a chance to ask Terry a couple of questions in just a little bit. Before I introduce um, our next uh, presenter, uh, we are going to see a short video from Igor. 
My name is Dwight Stewart. I'm the founder of Igor. Igor is helping make building smart, and it simplifies that process. What we do is we make a unified platform, so that really reduces the cost, so you don't have to have that end-to-end -end for each one. And now you start getting some extra benefits where you can see a sensor from one thing can be applied to take action somewhere else. We make it really simple. It's a single cable that is able to send power as well as data communication, and it can be installed by just about anyone. Igor is in 27 different countries, and we have been fortunate to be growing at 300% a year. All right, now we're going to speak with Kim Johnson, VP of Marketing for Igor. Kim is the Vice President of Marketing at Igor, uh, an information technology and services company. Before Igor, Kim built a career in marketing and client consulting. Kim, take it away. Wonderful. Thank you, Hampton. And thanks for having me here today. When I think of um, future-proofing, I think of how we can improve the value and longevity of the building. And such a huge part of it depends on the ability of the structure to be economically maintained and easily modified during its life of service. So that's why any discussion around technologies um, and future-proofing have to have long-term considerations. And a lot of the speakers have touched on some of that today. Um, I'll focus on um, software since that's really my expertise or an area of knowledge, but really every smart building in the most simple form has an IT infrastructure, hardware, and software. So when we think about the traditional economic model of a building, you've got your big upfront costs of constructing the facility, ongoing maintenance, maybe a large renovation at some points to repurpose the structure, more maintenance, and then the building's lived its useful life. So the majority of the cost of the building actually occurs after the original structure has been completed. The promise of a smart building is to make that ownership of the building more economic, more flexible, easier to adapt, and this is possible if you make the right technology decisions. One critical piece is obviously selecting a software provider. So you are going to be looking for, you're going to be looking at a lot of technology. And we've mentioned that, and that might be a theme today. You're going to be looking at a lot of technologies, a lot of software solutions, but ultimately you need an overarching IoT smart building platform to bring everything together into one manageable spot. Otherwise, you have 10 different logins for 10 different systems and they're all different silos and they don't talk to each other and you don't actually have a smart building. And when you look for that overarching theme to help with that future proofing, you really want to find companies that are software as a service companies. That's most of them today, but in the building industry, sometimes this has been a little bit slower of an adaptation. Buying a software solution up front without an ongoing service as software as a service agreement sets you up for dating your software. Um, you know, it's a depreciated asset then, and you don't have access to all the ongoing updates. And eventually you're gonna have to, in three to five years, buy new software, update it, do a big overhaul. Instead, if you do software as a service, you're gonna get those ongoing updates, which optimizes performance, consistent, updates on cybersecurity, especially if you look for a SaaS software provider that puts security first as an underpinning of its solution. You're certainly going to have improvements in software maintenance, user assistance. And then if you have a good overarching platform, it's adaptable. You can integrate 
sometimes easily, sometimes a little more effort. You usually can always integrate additional third-party applications as you go. Um, for better or worse, COVID-19 has been a great example of an unforeseen event triggering new use cases for buildings. So your building management software needs to be adaptable, allow you to respond flexibly, connect everything together in a central location, a central repository for all of your data, and then that allows you to continually have updated um, an updated software solution for your building as needs change without radical changes or without having to reinstall or do huge upgrade efforts. It can be gradual, ongoing in the background. Now, of course, a SaaS model is a little different. Your CFO, your finance team, nope, I went a little too far. Your CFO and your finance team are gonna be um, interested because obviously now if you're not buying the software, it's not an asset, it's an operating expense. It just hits income statements a little bit differently and needs to be have that consideration. But that means that when you move from software as a service uh, or from purchasing software with a depreciated asset uh, model to something that can grow, adapt, and change with your building. Um, and this is really critically important for that smart building to be future-proofed. Now, there's also a factor of hardware. Hardware, in this case, I'm really going to be referring to things like end devices. Um, end devices come in a lot of different formats. Um, all of these can be smart. More of these can be smart. You can buy intelligent devices from an awesome provider out there, or you can buy standard lighting and connect it to your IoT platform, and it becomes smart. So anything that really consumes energy in your building can be a part of your intelligent building network. It can be managed, controlled, centralized in one central platform. That makes it much, much easier to operate, helps you know, with that future-proofing of your facility. And you know, really, the days of that top-down proprietary system are gone. Um, that's a hindrance to the modern smart building. Um, and of course, what goes in your walls is important too. And so my vision and kind of what I'm going to refer to with IoT infrastructure is really what's behind the scenes. Um, one option I want to highlight to consider is this idea of power over Ethernet or PoE playing a bigger role in managing your smart building. It's a tried and true technology a global standard, and increasingly used to power and control more and more end devices because it carries power and two-way data transmission. So for a future-proof smart building, it's critical that you choose something that's safe, but flexible, adaptable, and increasingly supportive of the electrification of your facility, which is a huge push and um, requirement in the future of sustainability for a lot of our facilities. PoE technology is a great fit for these modern demands. And with that, Hampton, I will actually turn it back to you for um, any questions you might have. No, it sounds great, Kim. Thank you so much. So with everything you were going through and what you're talking about, let's kind of go through the sustainability side uh, just a little bit. So within this particular technology, especially as you're looking at the alternative power, um, how really is that going to benefit for individuals who are looking at trying to achieve those sustainability goals? 
Yeah, well, and first of all, I think sustainability is is a key component in your future proofing. We're seeing local jurisdictions, states, countries mandating it and looking at mandating more sustainability measures. So get ahead of the trends. And um, when you leverage something like Power Over Ethernet to connect all of your devices with one software solution to manage it, um, you're First of all, PoE reduces the use of several materials like um, high voltage wiring, um, conduit. You can actually save on material costs by using PoE. And by using less materials, you're already doing the first R that we all learned in elementary school, the reduction of the use of materials, right? So going really back to the basics, reduce the amount of materials you have in your building if you can, leverage the compatibility of data and power in one cable. And then um, so much of this now can be driven by choosing providers that abide by things like healthy material standards. And then when you have everything connected through the same system, like a power over ethernet based building with a software solution, you've electrified everything. You can have a microgrid. Um, there's trends and discussions in DC based microgrids, which is what POE enables as a DC power transmission source. And you can manage your data. A lot of energy reporting and efficiency requires pretty specific data reporting requirements. And if you have to go into 10 different systems to figure out energy consumption, uh, we all know what a mess that sort of data can be. So bring it together, make it easy to understand your, your energy consumption, leverage the smartest way to build your energy framework in your building, which is, I think, going the DC low voltage route um, as one way of minimizing your energy usage, minimizing your materials requirements, and then also maximizing your future ability to implement solar in your facility, which solar is natively DC also. So you can see this pattern, you can start to Im implement the infrastructure now, and then as you go, you can start to use those renewables, um, adhere to local standards, and ultimately, technology like this helps you with well building standards, lead points. There's a lot of information out there. Um, your providers can help you with it. And you can have an incredibly sustainable building that's also smart, that's also pretty future-proofed. Um, and, and I think ultimately, that's a win for everybody. I would agree. Kim, thank you so much. We're going to have a chance to talk with Kim in just a little bit. Before I introduce our next presenter, we're going to see a, now a, a short video on POE Texas. So I want to introduce Tyler Andrews, CEO of POE Texas. Tyler is a leader and influencer on intelligent buildings and power over Ethernet with his unique mix of technical expertise, construction expertise, and project management knowledge. 
Tyler leads POE Texas by making technology accessible to facility owners. Tyler? Hampton, thank you for that introduction. And I'm really excited to present to you today. Uh, I'm live here at a customer site where we're helping implement a spatialization system. So I'm very excited. Uh, my presentation today, I'm relying heavily on much wiser people, uh, including presentations made from Newcomb and Void's own Donnie Walker and Louis Wow with Sinclair Digital. So if you're interested in the topic of using POE to define the smart building or future-proof your smart building, I highly recommend you access their full presentations through Bixi or on YouTube, and uh, we can make that available if you'd like. I'm just giving a very succinct summary of their compelling presentations as POE as a critical component in the smart building and future-proofing that smart building. Sure, I've got here. There we go. Let's start with the key innovation concept that you can use and anyone can use to predict where technology is going. And that term is called convergence. No matter what technology you're talking about, whether it's smartphones or smart buildings, we can predict that devices and services will naturally converge on the best technology platform for that application. For example, instead of carrying around a digital camera, PDA, a cell phone and a portable DVD player, you now carry around just one smartphone. In the same way, you can accurately predict where technology will develop for smart buildings by looking at where the technology is converging today. In this case, power over ethernet is the convergence point for technology for the past 20 years. It started with IP phones, then security cameras, followed by building automation, and now lighting and intelligence. And if you're asking why, I'm happy to answer that question. The key points are interoperability. It's based on open standards. Network technology has a broad open compatibility structure that allows for innovation by disruptive players. 20 years ago, Amazon was a little known bookseller. And today, it's one of the biggest companies in the world because of the internet. Sustainability, PoE uses 60% less copper and 100% less steel conduit while delivering 40% more efficient energy. In aggregate, these are not small numbers. Reliability, PoE, or sorry, over the past 20 years, PoE has demonstrated itself as some, in some of the most demanding applications, including security and phone communication. Finally, safety. Because it is inherently safe, you don't need a license or conduit for POE. It's safe enough to touch without fear of sparks or electrocution. So am I just talking about a concept for what might be possible sometime in the future, like some concept show car? Because POE combines the intelligence of the internet with power onto a single cable, it has already opened the door to a wide range of devices to solve any number of objectives. I'm only showing a representative list of the kind of endpoints PoE currently provides as of the date of this presentation. This list grows every day, and I know because we're working on this list to make new products and to be compatible with other products. Just to highlight a few you may not have expected, you can gather and use heating and cooling data. You can convert PoE to USB-C for laptops and tablets, which is what we're doing here. We're using Microsoft Surface Go's to handle space utilization. 
You can manage your access control. You can even create just about any device you can imagine with a Nook or Raspberry Pi that is PoE powered. So now let's discuss what that architecture looks like and how it protects your investment. First, it's built on a PoE or GPON network. Or sorry, PoE switch or GPON network. There's a wide range of possible design architectures to minimize the cable runs and decrease your carbon footprint, but I'll get to that in a minute. Within that network, there's typically a gateway or centralized controller, which buffers you from innovation and change. In our case, that controller acts as a technology firewall, allowing Bluetooth, Zigbee, Wi-Fi, and DMX devices all to live on and be controlled by a PoE network. It also allows users to access data and controls from either inside or outside of that network safely. What's really important to point out here is that a good PoE intelligent building is not a walled garden. You don't have to limit yourself, for example, to light fixtures that have an RJ45 port. Almost any LED light can convert to PoE, just like almost any IoT device can be managed on a PoE backbone. Because PoE is built on an industry standard, by the way, the only globally accepted power standard, it allows a vast array of devices to all cooperate on one system, which is the most compelling reason to choose PoE as a technology. So let's talk practical terms. If this doesn't all make financial sense, then we're just showing off concept cars that you'll never see on the road. At a high level, all of our financial reporting shows PoE offers a 30% savings over equivalent technology. Now I emphasize equivalent because so often intelligent PoE lighting and systems get compared to the lowest level technology options. So to be clear, no, PoE lighting and automation does not make sense if all you're trying to compare it to is one simple light fixture with an on and off switch. Just like you'd never get a commercial airliner to cost the same as a private pilot prop plane. If your group project requires things like Title 24, color tuning, uh, uh, sorry, color tuning, dimming, color changing, occupancy detection, access control, motorized lines, or any kind of intelligence, then PoE does make sense. Now, I also encourage people to include in their calculus the reduction of electrical infrastructure, not just the lights themselves. Panel boards, circuit breakers, and even incoming power transformers. PoE reduces power consumption so much, you can significantly reduce your incoming power requirements, reducing some very large and expensive equipment. So doing the comparison, for all these reasons, doing the comparison at the concept phase when you're still defining your incoming power services is hugely important. Now finally, having spent 15 years managing projects for ExxonMobil, and a commercial, or sorry, a, a global commercial industrial rollout, I have some experience with the magical world of change orders. It's a land where nothing will actually cost you more. I'll explain, uh, so I'll explain how POE plays into this with an example. We had one of our installers installing a system get asked if he could add a few lights 
in a pharmacy and beat an electrician's estimate for this fairly minor change order. The electrician's estimate came in at $13,000 in the magical world of change orders just to add a few lights. Now, guess how much he brought down that change order to? He offered to do it for free in 15 minutes. I think you've got an idea of which option the building owner took. So, to wrap up, yes, I am definitely extolling all the virtues of PoE, and I'm a big proponent of the technology, obviously. And unfortunately, five to seven minutes is not enough time to go through all the details as to why PoE technology provides you with the best future-proof, uh, provides you the best future-proof protection. I'd be happy to follow up with anyone out there who would like to have a more in-depth discussion when PoE does and does not make sense. In the meantime, I hope I've armed you with a little more knowledge so you can find a better way. Hampton, thank you. No, Tyler, thank you so much. And um, before I ask you a question, I do want to uh, let everyone know, and also Tyler, thank you for the shameless Newcomen uh, Boyd plug, uh, that Venmo uh, amount will be going to your phone momentarily. Uh, the uh, What Tyler is saying is actually uh, accurate. Um, we as an organization, we've done quite a few of these um, studies, analyses, and I've done them personally. And that 30% that Tyler is referring to is is documented. So that that is not a number that is just being thrown out into the air by you know a, a manufacturer saying about savings. These have there have been analyses that have been done um, by other organizations, mine included. But Tyler, to to ask a question, what is kind of the I guess the, the biggest obstacles? Obviously, financial co comes into it, but outside of the financial side, you know, what is the really largest obstacle that's um, that you face when you're adopting PoE lighting uh, with your other building elements? That's a great question. And the biggest obstacle is helping to educate new, helping to educate designers and architects and the team that you build around to build your facility, which is why we encourage people to consider companies like, sorry, here comes a shameless plug, Newcomb and Boyd, who are familiar with lighting, PoE lighting and automation because then you're not having to start from scratch and educate people from zero all the way up to the technology. So we encourage people to really consider that. And one of the ways that we would do that is we encourage people to look for a provider and then that provider can make recommendations for design professionals and experts to help, help guide you through that process. All right, Tyler, thank you so much. We're all going to have a chance to ask Tyler a couple more questions in our uh, larger Q&A. Uh, right now, I'd like to introduce Francisco Ruiz, the Global Infrastructure Strategist and Director of IoT for Oracle. Francisco, as the Global Infrastructure Strategist for Real Estate and Facilities at Oracle, he leads a global team that's responsible for the overall strategy design, security, and implementation of enterprise IoT solutions across a 19 million square foot real estate portfolio. Francisco, thank you for being with us and take it away. All right, well, thank you, Hampton. In addition to Realcom and Sarah, it's always an honor. And to the other panelists who all provided various considerations when developing a future-proof smart strategy, so uh, my journey through the evolution of smart buildings, sustainability, IoT, and all things technology has been full of exciting and continuous change. I'm happy to be here representing Oracle, sharing some of my experiences with you all. 
At Oracle, the IoT team I lead supports approximately 118,000 employees and more than uh, 19 million square feet of owned and leased space globally with all various levels of IoT implementation. So as the final presenter and in consideration of what you've heard from our panelists today um, and presentations I've given in the past based on smart strategies, I'm gonna try my best to summarize the, the critical considerations that have been mentioned thus far um, and also add some additional ones. And, um, you know, I've made a couple of mental notes and I'll do my best to incorporate the eight ball, uh, but will likely not be Terry out. Uh, it sounds like he, he beat us all out, but um, I'm gonna start by mentioning that it's really not one size fits all. And, you know, I really recommend using today's info that you've heard as guidance. You know, your approach should be really dependent on your organization's mission, culture, and goals amongst other considerations. And while we don't have an eight ball, uh, your strategy should certainly be layered to minimize risk and truly be future ready. No one can guarantee you they know what the future technology be, will be 100% certainty, but with a balanced strategy, you'll definitely be um, in, in the best shape as you possibly can be. So. Um, you've heard the importance of starting with the end goal and, you know, problem you're solving for uh, cloud versus on-premise, you know, capital expenditures versus operational expenses, just being really cost effective. Uh, the project life cycle, you know, everything from design, planning, implementation through to commissioning, uh, operations handoff and and all the supporting technologies and applications that go into that um, as well as you heard uh, important concept of an MSI and really the support for an integrated building life cycle across multiple stakeholders so in cybersecurity, information security um, all of the above uh, sustainability goals as well of course um, which may include additional um, areas like CDP reporting, Energy Star, BOMA, LEED, BREAM, Fitwell, you know, well building different different uh, uh, areas to to really help in that effort. And then, uh, you know, last but not least, interoperability, reliability, safety, you know, different power strategies, whether PoE, energy harvesting, wireless, uh, a lot of considerations there. A few additional ones, though, I'll just add real quick before I get into my uh, next slide here, is um, Stakeholder alignment, very important. Uh, as someone once said, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So owned versus leased buildings, you're probably going to consider different technologies for one or the other. Uh, and really application and purpose of your real estate, whether it's a workplace, whether we're talking about labs, data centers, retail, smart cities, et cetera. Um, you know, your portfolio goals to, you know, what what are those goals you're trying to hit to right size your portfolio? That's going to affect the technologies and strategies. Um, really, a, a data driven you know culture type of goals that you may have for your organization. Um, so that that's all going to impact it. <clears throat> Improved occupant experiences. What are you trying to achieve with productivity, wellness, and universal design to ensure you're designing spaces that are inclusive. Um, and uh, of course, workforce recruiting, retention goals, innovation plays into the mix. And uh, last two here, of course, uh, as Hampton mentioned early on, the pandemic's impact 
on your return to office strategy and those supporting technologies. So at the end of the day, it's ultimately the, the triple bottom line. So I'm gonna um, jump in here um, to my next slide. Oh, looks like I went one too many. Let me go back one. There we go. All right. Um, so the, the main thing here is that you, you have a lot of choices as a consumer, vendor, consultant, et cetera, while developing a strategy and establishing a roadmap for innovation. So just to help contextualize and set the stage for the next slide here, um, the three major focus areas of corporate real estate technology that should be part of your strategy. Um, I'll, I'll, I like referencing this particular um, concept, uh, 330, 300 rule, or that can be 220, 200 for your situation. It's all relative, so just keep that in mind. I'm not gonna explain the history of the model other than just to point out conceptually, um, it's based on average organizations, you know, spending $3 per square foot annually for utilities, 30 for rent and 300 for payroll. The statement in quotes, you know, highlights the importance of the third bucket, which is associated with people and productivity. It is indeed, it's difficult to quantify the direct productivity gains and losses in, uh, or, um, in this particular category uh, precisely. However, conceptually, it helps bring light to the importance of employee experience and helps highlight the, the drastic difference between the three areas of expenditures. This isn't to say one bucket is more important than the other, but more to help you categorize your options as you develop your strategy and roadmap so that you can really decide what and how much to invest into, whether it's sustainability, portfolio optimization, or employee um, occupant experiences that are enhanced with uh, technology and innovation. So uh, I'm gonna move on here to my next and, and uh, final slide here, just to help illustrate what I'm talking about, go a step further beyond those three categories. This diagram's a, a high level, uh, but uh, helps illustrate several considerations that should be taken throughout your smart strategy development and maintenance. Starting from the bottom, it includes the, you know, some common discrete systems, which each have respective software and firmware. Also shows integrated, you know, edge hardware, sometimes referred to as gateways, controllers, and software that's doing the work required to unify communications between systems, do protocol conversion, and ultimately take that information to uh, a platform or software that gives a consistent operational experience spanning a building, campus, or even a full portfolio. Uh, this in turn also supports data lake strategies, which would house valuable sustainability, portfolio optimization data, and can be further shared with various um, applications and purpose-built solutions to enhance, for example, the occupant experience or the entire building life cycle from construction project management, asset management through to ongoing operations and maintenance. Um, examples, integration of work order management systems, you know, providing options for digital twin implementation, uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning, overall just openness. You've heard that quite a bit, staying away from proprietary systems, um, but openness to other solutions. And this should all ultimately result in an equitable experience and democratization of data throughout your organization. 
at Oracle, we had a goal of you know, planning, building, and operating efficiently. We set out to architect an environment that illustrated IoT and smart building best practices that would meet corporate real estate IoT goals of today, but that would also give our innovative development teams the flexibility to continue and innovate tomorrow. This required a lot of collaboration between real estate and facilities, our internal lines of business, uh, IT, risk management, and partners, just to name a few. Um, the technology in modern buildings really generates a lot of data, and our intention was not only to provide actionable info for our operators, but also sharing of this data, or I should say data lake of information in a programmatic manner that would be accessible for Oracle to innovate as they please. So this includes Oracle's cloud infrastructure, hosting the IoT platform services in the diagram, uh, internal and third-party solutions, as well as the final point here, um, is our amazing environment at our innovation labs that we've built out specifically to test, validate new products and services with input from our customers. So change is constant, but it's an it's very embraced and an essential part of our real estate IoT strategy and, and definitely should be a part of yours uh, as you consider moving forward. So I'll, uh, I'll stop there and um, you know take any questions if we have time. Well, Francisco, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate your, your presentation and insight. Um, I did want to ask one question before uh, we look at our, our uh, last short video, is when you're thinking of future proofing, kind of evolving it beyond day one, what should be the kind of first critical considerations that you would recommend you know, for your audience? Obviously, you have a large uh, portfolio in what you what you manage uh so and not everyone has that that large of a large of a breadth but kind of what would be your um primary recommendation if you had just one yeah so um definitely um by far the most important thing is actually not a specific technology but stakeholder alignment um, it's not a one and done approach by by any means um it, it's you know involves communications um Across the board, they're setting up a, a program to communicate and get this stakeholder alignment, whether it be workshops, ongoing education, and really multi-team engagement. Um, that could be, you know, everyone from engineering to facilities managers to your teams, depending on how big you are, that is handling, um, you know, energy sustainability goals. So it's it's truly a collaborative effort and ongoing for it to be successful over time um, and really be scalable. So, you know, from there, once you have that, you can begin drafting up your guidelines that can then turn into standards and, and just really building out those layers that I mentioned early on that will really build up your, your framework and guardrails uh, to help you reduce that risk. Again, nothing's, you know, really ultimately 100% predictable, but um, that's that would be my recommendation, Hampton. Let's go. <coughs> Excuse me. Thank you so much. Um, and before we bring everyone back for the panel conversation, we're going to take a quick peek at a video uh, for prescriptive data. Unfortunately, they weren't um, able to be with us, but we're going to see a short video. No video for prescriptive data today, Hampton. We'll go right into the panel discussion. That's exactly what I meant. We are going to take this opportunity to not watch a video from prescriptive data.
that's that's actually what I meant out loud. So why don't we bring everyone back uh, so that we can um, so that I can ask a couple of questions. So first, thank you all for for joining us. Greatly appreciate it. Um, very very uh, wonderful conversation. Um, I really appreciated everyone's insight. So what I want to do is I, I want to start with um, a, a question about data, and I think this will be more for Francisco and Terry. And Terry, I may have you uh, answer first. As you were mentioning, there is a, a brand new I, um, understanding, or I guess what I would say collaboration. Like we want to know how this building is. We want to know what's being managed daily. But once they have this data, um, is it becoming a situation where there may be too many cooks in the kitchen where now it says, oh, well, I noticed that this temperature was this one instead of that one. And you have these individuals who are, uh, what is it, internet sleuths or people who are just to know enough just to be dangerous that are coming up to you and saying, oh, we, we think these are the changes that should be made in managing the building. And all of a sudden now you have a different type of partnership with individuals who are your, who are your tenants. Has that come about or have you seen anything along those lines? Yeah. yeah. So Go ahead. Francisco. Oh, go ahead. I'll, I'll jump in after you. Okay. Um, for, for us, um, we determined, we, we designed this, and I can speak for an hour on this, Hanson, but basically, we you don't need 10,000 pieces of data to control 80 or 90% of your building's comfort and energy. So we determined many years ago a, a model on how to best take into consideration energy and comfort. Now you can certainly have a thousand, 10,000 data points for sure. What you're going to do with that data now, question mark. And if it doesn't move the needle, it's a kind of a, it's, you know, cost imperative many times. Likewise, the human behind that, you know, it, it, you're at the five, fifth or sixth decimal place. So it makes no difference. So what we did was we determined and we generated somewhat of a model on what we need to sort of look at that actually really can move the needle if we need to adjust it. Likewise, from a uh, analytics perspective, we have data analytics software running on all of this too as well to optimize the performance of all this. And then we have little dashboards. You know, I can't stress, good technology needs to be simple for the end user. And if it's not, stop. And and so try to keep it as simple as possible. Um, it, 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 and once it's simple, when the client understands there are three things that, you know, that they're looking to do, and, and those three things are in a pretty picture, you know, the duck's feet makes no difference how fast they're, they're actually paddling, right? And, and, you know, that's what we do best, uh, you know, paddle. And yeah. Anyway. Francisco? And your audio just went out. I'm sorry. Go for it. <laughs> okay. Can you can you hear me now? Yes, of course. Okay. Uh, so you can hear me? Okay. Thank yes. you. <laughs> I apologize. Um, so just to to add to that, just wrote a couple quick notes here. I mean, really, um, since we're talking about strategy, if you, your strategy should definitely. Um, take into account the different metrics you, you want to use um, in terms of, you know, what makes your buildings efficient, what, you know, a type of occupant experiences you're trying to achieve or metrics associated with your optimization, your utilization. So um, start off with that, just saying you should have 
some metrics, some guidelines in place. Um, but you're always going to have, uh, especially with a portfolio that's large, um, you're going to have different different uh, skill sets. You know, you're going to have some engineers with um, uh, different um, IT savvy, different levels of understanding of various types of systems. Some that are more stronger in in BMS, for example, and you know, and some that are just very data oriented and and ultimately, um, most definitely right now, there's a, um, I'd say across the board, we're looking at continuing to evolve with, with respect to the use of data and continuing to, you know, um, enhance those skill sets so that you don't have to have, you know, a data scientist looking at these systems. Like Terry said, the simpler, the better, the more automated um, that we can make this functionality so that it provide some actionable info. That's what I think we're all trying to achieve. Um, it's, it's not there by, by any means, but having your strategy and implementing, um, you know, with certain guidelines and metrics in place, um, you'll be at a, at a much better place than, you know, having folks start changing things there on the fly because they're the smartest person. So yeah, that, that's what I would offer. And when we think of that, we also want to make sure that we're clear on the partners that we have and, and their kind of their technology roadmaps. So a question for um, Yoni, Tyler, and Kim, and y Yoni, you can start off with this, is what are a lot of the cybersecurity challenges um, and, and what strategies are you kind of in place to, to overcome them? Because every end user, every company will have you know, their, their own, uh, I guess, addendum, cybersecurity addendum for this, and usually you guys need to kind of um, mold into whatever that is. So what are some of those challenges that you guys are seeing? I think, you know, first uh, it starts with just open communication and being very forthcoming with the, you know, as a software provider, our cybersecurity protocols, DOC2 documentation, pen tests and things like that. So that way they have complete visibility into what it is we're doing from a cybersecurity. And then of course, from a discovery standpoint, understanding what the requirements are. Um, I think that typically, you know, assuming you're you're doing the discovery phase well, and you, you know, taking into consideration depending on uh, our solution set, right? Genia sometimes is connected to the physical infrastructure of the building. We're physically connected to the building automation system, for example, with one of our products. So we're physically connected and controlling the security management of the building. Um, so we're taking cybersecurity very, very, you know. Uh, and we're considering it at a very high level and we're talking to their IT infrastructure um, and making sure that whatever their protocols are, we are kind of setting, meeting their standards. Um, and sometimes we run into a situation where the building isn't set up for us to physically connect in a safe way. And then we'll provide guidance to that end to explain to them, hey, there are certain steps that we need to take to ensure your, sa your security safety as well as our security. So, um, really depends on the asset, not a one size fits all. Um, really just depends on the the status and the state of the building. No, completely makes sense. Mm -hmm. Tyler, Kim, your your thoughts? Or how is this kind of impacting you? Well, I'll I'll throw out a quick one, Kim, uh, since you sure. said my name first. But the, the 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 thing that I'll throw out there is that very often customers are choosing whether to segregate their building automation and their building infrastructure from their, uh, it would say, IT traffic. And so what they're doing is, is customers are splitting it between operational technology 
and informational technology. Now, and there are designers, and I, I've met some of them here on Realcom, who specialize in helping build an operational technology network to incorporate the, the security measures. But it is a good, it, we found it is a good practice separating whether through a VLAN or actually air gapping through hardware technology that is crucial to your building operations and crucial to the function of your building, including security, access control, lighting, automation, and separate that from your traffic where people are going in and they're uh, downloading the, the the new episode off of Prime, Amazon Prime or something like that. So that's a, it's a good I industry practice we're seeing people kind of come to. Kim? Yeah, thanks, Tyler. Um, I, I, have a, I have a little bit here to add, and, and hopefully it, it's useful to people. Um, but the, the idea of the, the, back in the day when you'd have 10 different software solutions, that's 10 different things to manage, 10 different things to make sure updated with the latest security updates. And so having one platform, while it can seem um, a little scary from an entry point of view actually can be one way to up the security of everything that's held within it um, and bringing it all up to that level. So um, we have enterprise level clients in the Fortune 100 group and we have to meet really high security, cybersecurity standards, for example. So one benefit that you might find when you're evaluating software providers is if they're working with some name brand companies out there they have to go through specific security testing to achieve that. And so our customers get the benefit of, even if you're a school in Texas or wherever you might be, you get the same enterprise level software security because we have to for other clients, whether they're data centers or um, other critical components. So that's one thing to look for if you're evaluating providers um, and seeing where they are and, and sometimes um, you know, just asking the questions. And there are some really key things to look for in, in today's world that I could go through, like MQTT, I, um, Internet Protocol 6, um, a lot of these things that are um, important, but not every software company is capable of doing it. And so maybe having that software company under the umbrella of another platform that actually has those layers is one way of helping secure everything underneath of it. Yeah, and, and you, you bring up a good point in regards to the other clients that um, a provider would have. What I end up also telling people is that if they have healthcare clients, financial clients, and governmental clients, you're, you should be fairly confident because out of those three, you know, I still see as those are the, the largest and the most, most secure, you know, depending on what they're, what they're doing. So if they have those clients within their portfolio, you should feel, you know, fairly confident. And the only so, thing I'll add, if you don't mind... Cloud backups are critical. If you've got your cloud backups going and you're subject to ransomware and it's the difference between paying millions or losing like 12 hours that you didn't have backed up, like, you know, that, that's really a big thing. I think cloud has been discussed here quite a bit, but that's, that's actually cloud's not a scary thing. It's a helpful thing. In I'll tell a quick, quick story, Kim, on this one. We had ransomware, and I'm, I don't mind telling people because I'm sort of backed up to the yin-yang, and I was up in less than 20 minutes. So it, 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 once you have some redundancy and you, you anticipate this stuff, you're running a digital twin, it's all good, man, you know? <laughs> so last question, I know we only have a couple minutes left. Um, 
Kim mentioned, you know, the, the oncoming re regulations of RCSG, and if you had a chance to come to Realcom, that was a really big topic uh, within Realcom this year about how ESG is going through. So, and you know, very very quickly from kind of all the panel, in your you know best opinion, is it intelligent for individuals to really start looking at those ESGs because do you feel that regulations are going to come before before benefits? As in, you're either going to get taxed or hit by not doing this, or there may be some time for you. Quick thoughts. You can start, whoever wants to start. Francisco? I'll be fast. It's going to depend on where you are. Some places will regulate you before the benefits are there. That could be maybe Europe, some other places that are really committed to specific national goals. There's other places, especially in the US with state by state regulations where you're probably gonna discover benefits of sustainability actions before the regulations are there. And that actually will give you potentially a competitive advantage in the marketplace. So you can be a more of a first mover. Um, and the only thought I'll leave is that thinking of your building and future-proofing it is already a very sustainable way of approaching it. So you're on the right track. If you wanna future-proof your building, you're doing something that's inherently sustainable already by trying to give your building a longer lifespan. All right. Thank you guys so much. Greatly appreciate it. Sarah, I'm going to turn it back over to you with 60 seconds left. Thank you so much, Hampton. Really appreciate you facilitating the conversation and leading today's webinar. And I also want to thank all the other panelists for joining us today. Great insight. I really appreciate you sharing your insight with the community and taking the time to join us today. With that, I'd like to also thank you, the audience for joining us. And I want to invite everyone to join us for next week's webinar as well. Next week, we will be um, concluding the corporate real estate series uh, with a session on experience. So hopefully you'll be able to join us for that one. With that, um, have a wonderful rest of your day and we'll see you next week. Thanks. Bye, thank everyone. you. Thank you much. Thank you.